the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. He's going to see you and go, I guess it's okay, but then he'll eat. He doesn't have a clear conscience. You do. Now his conscience is violated. So he says, when you sin, notice what what he calls it. It's a sin, verse 12. Well, verse 11. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Verse 12. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to to fall. Sin is choosing self over God. For example, if you've been convicted that you should stop going to the movies and you choose to go anyways, that's a sin for you. Your conviction may not be based in scripture, and for most people, that act isn't a sin. But until you find more freedom in Christ, you should stay away from that thing. On the other hand, as Pastor Gary will explain, if you have that freedom, but your brother or sister in Christ doesn't, be careful not to rub that freedom in their face. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. What things in God's eyes that there's not a specific commandment about, okay? He's, again, he's not trying to have such license with his life that he can do whatever he wants and indulge his sinful nature. He's clear about that in other epistles. Again, Galatians 5.10, for example. But he wants to know in regards to certain things that are, quote, okay, uh, how do I know if it's okay? And one of the questions we are to ask ourselves is, is it less than beneficial because he says all things are permissible but not everything is beneficial not everything is good for us so we need to ask ourselves is it potentially detrimental for me rather than being good for me because even though it might be okay if it is not good for me then it is not right for me now again this may vary for each individual to some degree Again, we're not talking about clearly defined sinful things in the Bible. We're talking about areas of some liberty. And what you might have as a certain liberty in a certain area may not be an area I feel the freedom in, and vice versa. And so what we need to do is ask ourselves some of these questions. Is it okay? All right, everything's permissible as long as it's not sinful, but not everything is beneficial. It may not be good for me. Um, I I will, you know, ask myself these questions in relation to stuff that I watch. You know, 
our family together, you know, at different times. Is this an okay TV show? Do we feel okay about this? Do we have a clear conscience about this? Is this the kind of movie we want to go to? You know, is this, is this not a good movie to go to? Um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever gone to a movie and in the middle of it felt like, ah, this, not just because it was a terrible movie, but because you felt like, ah, this is personally offensive and you got up and walked out of a movie. Let me see your hands. Good for you. Good for you. By the way, you can get your money back for that. I don't know if you knew that. You don't have to just leave empty-handed. You can leave and go up to the counter and say, I don't like this movie. It was offensive to me. They will give you your money back in case you didn't know that. That's, that's happened on a few occasions. I, I speak from personal experience. But anyhow... So I'm going to give you an example. And this is an example. This is purely an example of my personal conviction. Okay? So a few years ago, a movie came out called Lone Survivor. I'm not going to ask who saw it. It doesn't really matter to the story here. Okay? And it was a story about the Navy SEAL team and, um, unfortunately, a tragic uh, attempt to, um, uh, to go on a mission in Afghanistan, kill a Taliban leader. Um, here's the thing. True story, true story, valiant heroes, valiant heroes. Some people lost their lives uh, serving our country, okay? But the movie also had 150 F-bombs in it. Now, can you legitimately do a movie about a Navy SEAL rescue team trying to take out a Taliban leader and avoid that language? Really not. If you wanted to be realistic, you know, I'm sure the guys, you know, those kind of guys are not sitting around going, drats. You know, I mean, they're just, they're not, okay? So they're not, they're not on the battlefield going fudge. You know, they're not doing that. So I get that. If you really want it to be realistic, you're probably going to have to do all that. But see, personally, I felt like that's, that's not good for me. I don't want, the, I don't want 150 F-bombs in, in my spirit. So I won't go to something like that. That's me. All right? Now, my wife and I have a personal conviction that there's really not much that is beneficial in an R-rated movie anyway. That's us. That doesn't have to be you. There, frankly, are some PG-13 movies we got up and walked out of before. You know, so um, it, it, it comes down to asking yourself some questions because you have to live with your clear conscience. And so, again, I don't make that as any reference to any shame. If you saw Lone Survivor, that's your deal, and you can have a clear conscience about it. That is one example where I just wouldn't be able to. Because I, I just don't think that would be good for me. So I don't want that in my spirit. I don't want to sit there for two hours and hear the F-bomb drop more than 150 times. By the way, a good resource, in case you don't know, is plugged in online. If you go to that website, they will critique movies ahead of time so you know this kind of stuff before you even have to go to a theater, pluggedinonline.com. So that's a good resource if you want to screen movies. But, uh, you know, these are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves. All right? So... Every person needs to settle certain things in his or her heart so that you can have a clear conscience. That's, that's the bottom line for this first question. Is it permissible? Okay, it might be, but is it beneficial? And if it's not, then I, I, don't, I don't want to exercise my freedom in that area because it may not be good for me. All right? Second question is in the rest of that verse. Look again, still here, chapter 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible to me, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So that's question number two. Could it master me? If, if you answer yes to any of these questions, then you are misusing your freedom. Could it potentially master me? It's an important question. Is it potentially addictive? And could it take control of my life? It might be okay... 
but okay does not make it right if I could become a slave to it. Simple example, I had a friend years ago who was a great investment banker and realtor, and this guy was flipping property and making money hand over fist. But he said to me one day, he said, Gary, I had to just walk away from all of it. I said, why? He said, because I would be up late on my computer into the wee hours of the morning, crunching numbers and obsessing with my investments and, and making sure that everything was, you know, profitable. And what do I have to trade as soon as the stock market opens up the next morning and that opening bell, I got to start to trade. And he says, I was going nuts. I was actually going crazy. And I was, I wasn't, you know, engaged with my family. I was neglecting my wife. Stock market's not wrong. Real estate investment's not wrong. All those things are okay. But in his case, you see, he said, I became obsessed with it and it became something that controlled me and it became addictive. I had to walk away from it. And these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. It, it, it might be certainly okay, but if it has the potential to master us, control us, become addicting, it's not good. So don't use your freedom then if it has the potential to master you. Then he asks here, now go back to chapter 8 where we were. In chapter 8, here's the third question that he, that he asks in verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So here's the third question. Could it stumble others? Does my freedom have the potential of stumbling others? Now, this is, this is a very challenging question because, again, it means that your Christian faith is not just exclusively about you. And some people have that misguided notion. They think, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because it's just between me and Jesus. No, it is not. And people need to get this, because I know too many people who don't get this. They think, it's just about me and Jesus. It's what it's whatever Jesus thinks is okay, and I have a clear conscience about, that's what I'm going to do. Now, you've got to ask these questions. And the third one is, well, wait a minute, in the exercise of my freedom, could it, all, could it damage somebody potentially? Could it be a bad witness to somebody, even though I know it's cool? If they have a problem with it, I need to take them into consideration. Your faith is not limited to your own bubble, your faith should be something that you live out with the potential of it either being a catalyst to bring someone to Christ, okay? This is what your faith will always be, either a catalyst to lead somebody to Christ, to point them in that direction, or it will be a stumbling block to somebody from coming to faith in Christ. And perhaps they are already in Christ and they're just a new believer. And now the exercise of your freedom has caused them to just, you know, wig out because they don't understand why you're able to do what you're able to do. And so we need to remember that it is not our right to exercise our freedom if in the exercise of our freedom it will cause other people to stumble. And Paul says here, he says, you know, in essence, they are spiritually weaker because he says they don't have the, in this context, he goes, they don't have the knowledge that, you know, all this meat is A-OK, it doesn't really matter. You know, if, if somebody offers you today, if they offered you a steak and said, you know, before I gave you this steak, you know, I offered it to Buddha, you could care less, right? I mean, if you know Christ, you care less. your only question is, you know, how can I have my steak done? You know, you don't, you don't really care that it was offered to Buddha. And so, but, but yet at the same time, he says, but because there's some weak people here and they don't understand that it's okay, don't, don't eat it in front of them. You know, don't, don't puff up with knowledge and say, well, I know, I know the food is okay. And it's a shame that you don't, but I'm going to eat it anyway and chow them down. You know, recognize that the better thing is that love builds up. Sometimes people 
in the exercise of their freedom have put more value on their rights than they have on other people. And so this whole section here is is about that. He says in verse 10, For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, because at that time they had some of the meat markets there by the idol temples, won't he be emboldened to eat what he has been sacrificed, what has been sacrificed to idol? In other words, he's going to see you and go, I guess it's okay, but then he'll eat. He doesn't have a clear conscience. You do. Now his conscience is violated. So he says, when you sin, notice what, it, what he calls it. It's a sin, verse 12. Well, verse 11. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge, verse 12. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. This is being sensitive to other people around you, not knowing where they might be in their faith or if they have faith at all. Remember uh, when we were back in Romans, and you can turn back, it's only a couple of pages, otherwise I'll just read it. Back in Romans chapter 14, um, Paul was emphasizing this in his, in his letter to the Romans as well. In Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Okay, it goes back to this whole conscience thing. If, if you have a clear conscience, great. If somebody sitting next to you doesn't, then they, they have to be true to their conscience. He says in Romans 14, 15, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Later down, Romans 14, 19, he says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, or drink wine, or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Okay? Everybody get this? So it is important to recognize this. Um, you know, again, in some of these areas where, you know, how much is too much, what is right, what is wrong, on the whole topic of alcohol. Um, and, and Paul mentions it there in Romans 14. We, we have to be sensitive that you might have that freedom, but somebody you go to dinner with may not. So, you know, don't, don't assume. Ask. If you want the liberty, and you're having some, you know, dinner, and you want the liberty to have a glass of wine with dinner, and you have, you have friends over, you're out at a restaurant, ask. Would you be offended by this? And if they are honest and said no, then fine. If they are honest and say yes, then at that point, you should give up your, quote, freedom for the sake of your friends. And that's the way it works. All right? There's a fourth question. Go to chapter 10. I know we're skipping around a little bit, but I want to put all this in context. Our freedom. Fourth question in chapter 10, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Everything is permissible. He uses that phrase again. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. 
But everything is constructive. Now, if you have a New King James or an ESV, it says, but not all things edify. So that's the fourth question on our list. Does it lack edification? And specifically, he's asking in terms of other people. Will this build other people up or, or will this have the opposite effect? And so it is an important question to ask. Does it lack edification? Again, if we answer yes to any of these questions, we are misusing our freedom. And so we have to recognize that in regards to this last question, our aim should be to build others up. That the Christian faith is not about seeking our own good, but also about the good of others, and primarily about the good of others. So be others-minded, be others-centered, and make sure that what you do in the exercise of your freedom is beneficial, doesn't control or master me, would not stumble others, and at least would be edifying of others and would not lack edification. All right, go back here to chapter 9 now. See if we can race through chapter 9. So Paul is going to now use some examples here about his own personal freedoms that he doesn't exercise, uh, just to give them an example of his own story. And at the same time, he's going to defend his apostleship, because apparently some are questioning, do you really have the authority to talk about all this, Paul? And so he's going to use himself as an example of freedoms and rights that he gave up, At the same time, he's going to be defending uh, his ministry as an apostle. So chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Am I not free? I have freedom, in other words. He says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay, remember, Paul founded the church at Corinth, and he spent 18 months there ministering to them, building them up in their faith. So he's like, you know, I I was with you for like a year and a half. Do you not know that I'm an apostle? And he says in verse 3, This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Now, the argument he's going to make here is, he has the right as the apostle that founded their church to be supported by them. The fact is that he's not going to be supported by them. So he's going to use this as an example. I've invested in you. I've poured my life into you. I never took a dime from you. I had the right to do it. You could have and should have supported me, but I chose not to have you support me financially. And I worked instead to support myself so that I would never be a burden on you. But I could have exercised my right. So it's going to be an example here how he gave up his own rights. He says, he says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? In other words, at, at, at your expense, okay? He says, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, that's Peter, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? He says, you know, basically says these other guys bring their wives along and the ministries where they serve support them and their families, their wives, um, He says, you know, Barnabas and I, we chose not to work, but we could ask for support from you as well. In verse 7, he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, this is in Deuteronomy 25, 4, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. 
Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Okay, so pause for a moment. So he's basically using examples. He says, look, you know, the, the farmer... Um, sows a vineyard and is able to eat grapes from the vineyard. A, sh- a shepherd is able to, you know, eat of the flock. Um, and then he uses the example here from Deuteronomy 25.4 that even when oxen were used to trample out the grain, they wouldn't muzzle the oxen. They would allow the oxen to eat as they were working. And so Paul's using this as an example. He goes, you know, I have the right to ask you to support me materially. You're the church I founded. You're the church I invested in. You could invest in me. I have the right to do this. But now he's going to give this as an example of, okay, but some freedoms we give up, some rights we give up for the benefit of others. He says, next, next verse, he says, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. I have that verse underlined in my Bible right there. Those who (laughs) preach the gospel should have their... And, and, you know, and and, and that's, that's because of your generosity that the pastors are supported here. Because as we teach the gospel, we receive support from those that we are ministering to. That's what he says here. It's, it's all part of, uh, of the way that God desires it. So he goes on in verse uh, 15, but I have not used any of these rights. Now, see, I'm not that spiritual, so I, I have to use that right. He goes, and, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And you know, honestly, those of us who feel a calling in ministry, we understand what he's saying here. It's like, you know, are there other things that we possibly could do? Possibly. But if we don't preach the gospel and we have a calling on our lives, then, then woe to us. And so he, he's taking it personally, as all should who are, who are in ministry. In verse 17, he says, If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Okay, so that's his whole argument. He's like, you know, I, again, I, I'm not taking anything from you. I could, but I, I give up my rights because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm trying to take advantage of them by asking you to support me. I could, but I won't. All right? If somebody's in a position to do that, it's a wonderful thing. I, I heard years ago that Rick Warren, after a pastor of Saddleback Church in California, after he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he made so much in the royalties that he decided no longer going to take any, any uh, salary from his church. And so, you know, that was a personal decision that he came to. And, you know, God bless him for, for uh, such a, a lucrative book deal. Um, I, I haven't written a book. And so I, uh, so I, I don't, I'm not exercising that, that privilege there. Anyway, let's move on. Um, and, and so now verse 19, he says, he says this, Though I am free and belong to no man, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm free in Christ, 
He says, I make myself a slave to everyone. Note this. To win as many as possible. Notice how just consumed he is here, in a good way, with others. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45, or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.